0: Welcome and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. How many love the crisp fallness coming into the air? Come on. Doesn't it just make you want to worship even more? I think today was our first official frost. I came into our land of grace here and there was frost all over the ground. It was beautiful. Absolutely loved it. I still can't believe every fall that the trees just change color. It's unbelievable. Who, who, who is like me and just stands in awe like a little kid when the leaves literally just change colors? I feel like I'm in a Dr. Seuss book. Like if you were just to tell me, hey, can you imagine if once every year all the trees just turn bright colors like orange and yellow and red? I'd be like, that would be amazing. And then I'm like, oh, that's what happens. This is the real world, God designed it like that. It's, it's absolutely stunning. It's one of the reasons we love the fall festival here. Everything about the fall is wonderful. Last week I wasn't here, I was away with my wife Jessica. Shout out to Pastor Oscar for sharing a great message last week, thank you Oscar. One of the things we get to do as a church is invest into other churches, church plants, missionaries, compassion work all around the world. And there's a friend of mine named Gary Spell who's preached here a few times, and he and his wife felt called to plant a church in Virginia Beach. And they were here about a year and a half ago with us. For Some of you might have been here for that. And we spontaneously—it was actually with our leadership community after our services, but we took their first offering for what would be their— church plant called Tapestry Church in Virginia Beach, and they just celebrated one year last week. So my wife and I went out there and celebrated with them and got to invest into their team and speak a little bit. And I always feel like investing into church planning is one of the greatest investments because, yes, prayer, but also actual dollars go into that work. And as that church takes root and starts being the church in its community, everything just immediately starts getting multiplied. They've got you know 100 or 200 people now. They're going to two services. They're supporting other church plants and other missionaries and They've they're seeing people come to faith in their church and you guys and our giving are part of that Isn't that awesome? This is how the kingdom of God works. It's more awesome than that. You guys are quiet this morning Isn't that awesome? It is very 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 awesome and we get to support people all around the country and compassion work You're gonna hear more about that this month, you know leading up to Christmas one of the most common sources of anxiety including among Christians is around money A lot of people live under a shadow of their finances, wondering things like, how am I gonna pay my bills? How am I gonna really take care of my loved ones, not just now, but in the future? How will I pay off all this debt? And the undergirding question of it all is will I ever have peace and joy in my finances? A lot of sincere and very hardworking people that love Jesus still feel like this. Uh, When it can cost 50 to 100 bucks to fill up your gas tank, it can be daunting. Uh, When the cost of living seems to just keep going up, but our paycheck doesn't go up as much, anybody with you, it can be a little nerve-wracking. When you remember things like the Great Depression and what happened in 08, and you see what seemed to be trends like that in our day, it can be a little worrisome. And today, uh, we wanna take a Sunday, and I do this every year, at least once a year, to look at how to dream again for healthy finances. And we're gonna study what I think is a very overlooked part of scripture, that might be surprising to you. And our prayer is ultimately uh, that if you haven't or if that you need to re-up this, that you'll adopt God's strategy for your finances. And there's no offering at the end of this sermon. This isn't about Graceland Church trying to get funding. This is about our discipleship before the Lord as followers of Jesus and how he calls us to operate financially. You guys tracking with me? The recap of this, I'm glad two people. Is anybody else tracking with me? I need a little more feedback today. I'm tired, a little more feedback. Come on, bring it to me. Did someone just say we can tell? Was that Victor? Was that you, Victor? I always have one heckler. Victor's been my heckler in this church for a while. Can you raise your hand, Victor? We wanna pray for this man. He heckles in love. I didn't know heckling was a spiritual gift, but Victor has has perfected that gift. Quick recap on this series, uh, because it's called Dream Again, and it's important to note that we're not just talking about chasing your dreams. You know, we live in a world that promotes that, and I'm not saying that's terrible, but that's not what this is all about. This is about uh, getting in touch with the God-given dreams of our heart and letting those be reawakened. Really, it's about adopting his dream for us, because that's what leads to the deepest dreams of our heart. And the first part, you might want to go back and listen prayerfully if you didn't get to yet. I think it was four Sundays ago. Talked about how godly dreaming always follows divine order. And that that means everything begins with God. So it starts with beholding Jesus. This is the greatest dream of our heart, whether you know it or not. And if you don't resonate with that, I would encourage you to lean into God and say, Lord, I want to learn about your dreams for my life. First and foremost, what it is to know and follow Jesus. And after that, we talked about the dream of healthy relationships. And man, that is I had so, so much feedback from that message. So many uh, seasons of just pray, uh, days of praying with you and helping and coaching people through relational problems. And I want to encourage you, if you have relational tension in your life, I pray that you'll dream again about God's intent for those relationships. You can go back and prayerfully listen if you want. We talked about praying with boldness and faith the week after that, really a childlike faith. And last week, Oscar talked about how to dream even when you can't see it, talking about the power of faith like a mustard seed. And today we're talking about the dream of healthy finances. The very first thing that Jesus said was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near which the word repent gets a bad rap in our culture because of people who I believe have misused that word. The word is actually a wonderful invitation and it means to change your mind. Jesus is basically saying, hey everybody, change your mind because the kingdom of heaven is near. He's saying there's an entirely new operational system, including an entirely new economic system, a way to think about our money and there's a new way, it's called the kingdom of God and he's saying repent And I just want to submit to you that we need to do this over and over in our life, which is change from our strategy in our thinking to his strategy in our thinking. Change from our strategy for how we manage all our money to his strategy for how he has created us to manage our money, and that is called repentance. And The Bible actually has a lot to say about money. Scholars point out that Jesus discussed money more than heaven and hell combined, and that's true. That's Jesus teaching in the context of the New Testament, the new covenant of grace. It is that important that Jesus would devote that kind of time to it. There are over 2,350 verses in scripture about money. John Ortberg, a great author, says that the author and editor of the Bible, which we believe is the Holy Spirit, devoted twice as many verses to money than to faith and to prayer. And so it's important uh, that we open up our heart before God and his word and let him speak to us. I'm going to frame this message as I've done uh, once each year since I've been here at Graceland Church with a quote that I think is really powerful from a teacher named John Wesley. He said this, having first gained all you can and secondly saved all you can, then give all you can. So let's look first at gain all you can. That's number one in your notes, gain all you can. And let's look at this, what I believe is a very surprising text. Luke 16, one through 13. I'm gonna read it out of the message because the message just helps with this storytelling that Jesus was uh, wanting us to understand this spiritual truth. Jesus said to his disciples, there was once a rich man who had a manager. He got reports that the manager had been taking advantage of his position by running up huge personal expenses. So he called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? You're fired. He didn't even let him answer the question. You're fired. And I want a complete audit of your books. The manager said to himself, what am I going to do? I've lost my job as manager. I'm not strong enough for a laboring job and I'm too proud to beg. I'm gonna skip a little bit of the story. He says, ah, I've got a plan. Here's what I'll do. I'm going to skip a little more, and we're going to get to the heart of this plan here. Then when I'm turned out on, into the street, people will take me into their houses. And then he went at his plan, which was this. One after another, he called in the people who were in debt to his master. And he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He replied, "A 100 jugs of oil. The manager said, here, take your bill. Sit down here quick now. Write 50. In other words, lie. To the next, he said, and you, what do you owe? He answered, a hundred sacks of wheat. He said, take your bill, write in 80. He said, lie again. Now here's a surprise. The master praised the crooked manager. And why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Street wise people are smarter in this regard than law abiding citizens. They are on constant alert looking for angles, surviving by their wits. I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right. Using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival, to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so you'll live, really live, and not complacently, just get by on good behavior. So shockingly, Jesus, God in the flesh, is using the example of this crooked manager who's telling people to lie so that he can take care of himself. He's saying, take an example from this crooked manager because of his craftiness, his street smarts, and his shrewdness. And that's your first sub point under number one. Gain all you can by working shrewdly. That's not a word we use a lot, but it means intelligently or skillfully. Sometimes when you're shrewd, you know how to get some money into your pocket. We sometimes think as Christians that we're supposed to just give our life to Jesus and sit on our couch and the blessing will come, right? And Jesus is saying, actually, I want you to take take a cue from people who are out there working really hard to earn a dollar because they're desperate and I want you to apply that to good. He's essentially saying, Jesus is all about us learning how to gain all we can. But there's one very important thing that Jesus was not endorsing, and that was the dishonesty. So look at the rest of the story. Jesus went on to make these comments. If you're honest in small things, you'll be honest in big things. If you're a crook in small things, you'll be a crook in big things. If you're not honest in small jobs, who will put you in charge of the store? No worker can serve two bosses. He'll either hate the first and love the second, or adore the first and despise the second. You can't serve both God and the bank. So the second sub point under number one is gain all you can, but not at the expense of honesty. So we're meant to gain money, but we're not meant to model the dishonesty of this shrewd manager. If you're shrewd, but not honest, you're gonna get fired. That's essentially what Jesus is saying here. Not only will you not get promoted, no one's gonna trust you with more, but you will get fired. But if you're honest and not shrewd, you'll get walked all over or you'll misunderstand theologically what God says about our work. Again, sometimes we think theologically, once I surrender to God, oh, I'm just good. He's gonna bless me with whatever he wants me to have. And yes, that's true, but he also says, I want you to work. I want you to be wise. I want you to be intelligent. I want you to gain Money, it's kind of like us as parents. If you send young adult children out into the world that you don't feel like have learned how to work yet, but are just looking for handouts, are you excited about them going out into the world? No. You don't want them coming back to the well over and over again. You want them to learn how to get a job, maybe two jobs, maybe three jobs, to earn what they need to live, right? But when you send a kid out who's learned the ethic of work and who's learned how to do it honestly, you have a lot of peace about that because they have learned this godly principle of working shrewdly. And then let me reiterate what Jesus said at the end there. He said, you can't serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other or you'll be be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and the bank. So this is so clarifying and helpful for us in the context of how we're meant to gain. If God or the bank becomes our hope, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. If the bank becomes our God, meaning if the bank and our resources become our hope, our only sense of security, what we feel like we need to pad so that we feel good, we will eventually be dishonest to gain because we have a false God. Are you tracking with me? But if God is our God, we understand that we do need to gain, but it is, that money is actually serving us as we serve the purposes of God, and it's an entirely different scenario, and it leads to the third sub-point, gain all you can, but not at the expense of your soul. Of course, if you start being dishonest in your business dealings or in your taxes or in your records or anything that you're trying to gloss over, you might feel like you're skating by for a while but you are eating away at your own soul. You are hurting yourself. And Jesus also said in the gospels, what will it profit you to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? So you can actually learn how to gain really well but lose your soul. That's not at all what Jesus is endorsing here. And there's a story I'm gonna share that's true about some of the wealthiest men in our country. I've read this here a few times, but it's worth repeating at least once a year in my estimation. It was back in 1928 that a group of the most successful financial leaders in our country met at a beach in Chicago. And this is all documented and true. The following were there, the president of the largest utility company, the greatest wheat speculator, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the president's cabinet, the greatest bear in Wall Street, the president of the Bank of International Settlements, the head of the world's greatest monopoly, and collectively, these tycoons at that time controlled more wealth than there was in the entire US Treasury. For years, newspapers and magazines had been printing their success stories and urging the youth of the nation to follow their examples. But 25 years later, here's where each one of them ended up. The president of the largest steel company, Charles Schwab, lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life, and died broke. The greatest wheat speculator, Arthur Cutton, died abroad insolvent. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, served a term in prison. The member of the president's cabinet, Albert Fall, was pardoned from prison so that he could go die at home. The greatest bear in Wall Street, Jesse Livermore, committed suicide. The president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Frazier, committed suicide. The head of the world's greatest monopoly, Ivar Druger committed suicide. So they had all learned how to gain, but they had not learned how to gain not at the expense of their soul. And here's what I wanna encourage you with, with this first idea of gain all you can. Never gain ever at the expense of your walk with the Lord, at the expense of your obedience to God, at the expense of your health, that's physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, or at the expense of your family or your neighbor. And family or neighbor just means at the expense of anyone. And you've probably sensed this before. If you start gaining at the expense of someone else, it eats away at your soul. Or if you start gaining in a job that God clearly directed you away from, it eats away at your soul. Has anybody ever taken a new job or maybe a promotion just for money when you didn't sense God's peace in it and how it begins to eat at your soul? I've I've experienced that. Like you cannot gain at the expense of following the guidance of the Lord, at the expense of your health, or at the expense of your neighbor, period. These guys had figured out how to gain, but they had not figured out how to live in the way that God had called them to. So one, gain all you can. Number two, save all you can. Probably the first thing your mind goes to with save all you can is put a bunch of money in the bank or invest a bunch of money and neither of those things are bad, but I don't think that's what John Wesley or scripture ultimately is getting at with the idea of saving all we can. Jesus told a parable of the talents where he gave a certain worker, a manager gave a certain worker five talents, another worker two talents, another worker one talent and told them to go put that to work. A talent represents resource or money. It was specifically money in the time that that parable was told. And the one who was given the five multiplied it into another five, and the manager praised him. The one who was given two multiplied it into another two, and the manager praised him. The one who was given one was fearful, literally hid the talent so that he could present the one talent back to the manager and was ultimately fired, and it was taken away from him and given to one of the other workers. So we see in scripture that sometimes our our hoarding, sometimes our desire to pad our bank account to a certain amount so that we can finally feel at peace is not biblical. We're actually meant to multiply our resources. And this is not to say that saving a little bit is wrong. I'm, I totally subscribe to the idea of like, give 10%, save 10%, live on 80% or various versions of that. It's good to have a cushion in your bank account. We live that way as a church, we wanna have like, you know, three to six months in the bank at least. I think you should fight for that personally as well. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we start kind of living by fear and just hoarding everything away, thinking that that's what God might want us to do because money has kind of become our God and our security, right? I don't think that's what we're talking about here with save all you can. And let me clarify. First of all, save all you can not by hiding money away in fear. That's what we just talked about. That's your first subpoint. Not by hiding money away in fear. Second subpoint: save all you can by spending within your means. So we're talking about the kind of saving where you are setting aside more money to be used for kingdom purpose, to be used for good because you are choosing to live within your means. Look at Hebrews 13.5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Let me count these words. One, two, three, four, five, six. Here are six words that could change your life financially forever. Be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Think about that. He further expounds in 1 Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I'm looking around. I see a bunch of people that are dressed in front of me, and I'm thankful for that. You know what that means? You have clothing. I hugged a lot of people today. No one smelled that bad to me. That means you probably have more than one piece of clothing. You all look like you're pretty well fed, and I'm guessing you have some food. Scripture's saying we can be content with that. You know, we live in a very affluent country and we live in a very affluent part of our country. And if we're not careful, and I'm preaching to myself here, we will look around and see how everyone around us is living and use that to measure what we do. And we will grossly overspend, including getting ourselves into all kinds of debt. And we will not be saving all we can. Rather, we will be overspending. Anybody tracking with me here? Sometimes we aren't saving all we can because we are spending in an effort to find something. We're almost looking for our peace or our joy or our fulfillment or our adoration through our spending. The third sub point, save all you can by understanding you can't purchase your happiness. Has anybody here learned that lesson yet? Who's like me and in process? Anybody, one honest? Anybody still in process with realizing you can't purchase? One of the ways that I know I'm still in process is I eat Chick-fil-A too much. And I, I, like, the enemy comes to me and says that Chick-fil-A is going to make you happy today. E- God can even use Christian chicken to, 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 to make you think you can purchase your happiness. And I will start thinking, man, if I will buy myself a number two spicy chicken sandwich deluxe with some Chick-fil-A sauce, I'm going to be happy today. And I'll go and I'll eat that thing. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying a number two spicy sandwich. I'm all for it. But I eat too many of them. Anybody with me? I could have saved some of that money. I could have saved. That's a, that is half-joking right there, half-truth, but multiply that to the biggest purchases of our lives. Multiply that to how we're thinking of homes and vehicles and and vacations and trips. And none of these things are bad in and of of themselves, but we have to be really careful because I'm not gonna teach on this right now, but there's a whole passage of scripture that says that some of the money that God entrusts to us Above and beyond tithe and everything we do, and I'll talk about tithing in a minute, is is seed that's meant for us to be planted in other works around us. And a lot of times when we get the wrong idea of how we're going to spend all our money on us and our loved ones, the, the scripture actually talks about this. You can basically start eating your seed. So God might be giving you seed that you're meant to plant elsewhere, meaning money that is just meant to flow through you that's gonna bless you in return, bless others, build the kingdom, help people. But instead of doing that because we're overspending and we're not saving all we can, we think we have no financial margin when we really could have financial margin. We eat and we use the money on ourselves that God is intending to flow through us. You tracking with me? I know it's a hard word, but this is just true when it comes to discipleship with our finances. And it's really important for us to return to these truths over and over again in the context of affluence that we live in. And I'm not just talking about Williamson County or this area, I'm talking about our nation, right? We happen to be in one of the wealthiest counties or at least in the vicinity of one of the most wealthy nations that has ever existed in all of history. So all of us are very used to a lot of abundance. And that's not to say you haven't struggled financially and you haven't been paycheck to paycheck and those kind of things. But I would submit a lot of times we end up much tighter financially than we need to be because of how we are choosing to overspend. I know I'm not going to get a lot of loud amens on this because it, it, hit, it hits close to home for all of us. But it's important to look at with our discipleship. You are designed, Jesus says this, to have life and life to the full. But you cannot purchase that. It's unbuyable. It is in Christ and in Christ alone, life and life to the full. But it does not come from a padded bank account, or better homes and gardens. There's a really tough quote from John Wesley's brother, Charles Wesley. Uh, I, I'm prefacing this because it's such a smack you in the face quote. Is anybody up for a smack in the face? Okay. That's metaphorical, kids. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna clarify some of this, but I feel like it's important. Whenever you expend anything to please your taste or other senses, you pay so much for sensuality. When you lay out money to please your eye, you give so much for a stronger attachment to these pleasures, which perish in the using. While you are purchasing anything for the admiration of men, you are purchasing more vanity. Have you not enough vanity, sensuality, and perishing? Was there need of any addition, and would you pay for it too? What manner of wisdom is this? Would not literally throwing your money into the sea be a less mischievous folly? There's a lot of truth in that. I do wanna clarify it by saying we know we have a God who values celebration and even feasting because all throughout the Old Testament and then affirmed in the New Testament, we see his people called to feasting days, entire weeks where they celebrate and feast and remember the goodness of God, which, costs money so I don't uh, you know if you took just this quote as the straight the only way to think about how we spend our money we would think it's wrong to enjoy a wonderful meal I don't believe that at all we would think that it's wrong to let go out and celebrate our anniversary I don't think that's true at all but I do think we do it too much tracking with me there any amens anybody When we overly spend on, I love what he said about vanity. If we spend so much money on clothing that, and if our motive behind that is at all the admiration of other people, we are spending money on something that pulls us away from God's ultimate intent for us, which is a more of a greater focus on others, right? That's why he's saying it'd be better to take your cash and throw it in the ocean. Sometimes we are spending against our own discipleship. Then that doesn't mean good clothes are wrong. It doesn't mean fashion is wrong. It doesn't mean any of that. But it means all these things in moderation before the Lord, right? We, and it means we're not trying to purchase our happiness through it. Okay, let's go to point three, give all you can. Gaining and saving are null and void without the third step of giving. The first subpoint: give all you can by honoring the Lord with the tithe. The tithe is something that's introduced to us in the Old Testament, which is giving the first 10% of everything you make into the house of God. And it's not just money, you know, they had a lot of farmers and people that worked in agricultural work, they would bring a 10th of everything they made, the first fruit, they would bring it into the house of God. I believe that Jesus affirmed the tithe in Luke chapter 11. Uh, so I believe it's part of the new covenant as well. And I don't believe it's out of obligation, but out of joy that we get to say, here's the first fruits of what I have earned, I bring it into God's house. And I believe Jesus took it even further and wants us to think even deeper and understand that everything we have is his, but it starts with the tithe. And I would encourage you, if, if you're part of this church family and I'm one of your pastors, I would encourage you to be very serious about tithing. If you can automate it, automate it, make it a priority, make it an act of worship, do it with a joyful heart because it's part of your discipleship before the Lord. And if you are concerned about doing that here or maybe you don't know us yet or you think we're too self-interested, go tithe somewhere else. I don't care. Right. I want it for your own discipleship. Right. I want this for our church family. None of this is about padding our church bank accounts at all, though the tithe is how we do everything that we do here as a church. It's how we help and serve people. So God redeems that money that we all bring into the pot and we use it to serve and bless people. We see it in Proverbs three. Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the firstfruits of all your increase. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, God says, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. A quick word study, and that's how we're going to close this. When these scriptures talk about, talk about all your increase, I believe it means any increase. And I don't. I don't. People ask me, should I tithe on gifts if someone gives me a gift? Between you and God, I'm not throwing laws on your life. That's not my job. Um, we t- talk to God about it. From my perspective, it's all of our increase. And my, my wife and I, when we got married, you know how you make a good amount of cash. We 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 did a big wedding just to make money. Anybody with me? We were like, let's do let's let's do a big wedding because we we want a pile of money, right? I'm I'm half joking, half truth, right? So. We were counting money on our wedding night, right? We're like, okay, this is good. What's in this card? Great. We were seeing who would get the biggest checks. And uh, we wrestled with, should we tithe on our wedding money? Because these are gifts. Is it increased? We were like getting into the letter of the law. What does God really say about this? Because, you know, when you get a chunk of money like that, the tithe is is a pretty good chunk of money. And we really could use all this money for, for lots of stuff. We decided that we should do it. And uh, right at the same time, the roof on our house that we we owned in Pennsylvania, we found out was bad. So it was gonna be multiple thousand dollar project. We had given away, essentially, we felt like the tithe money, which could have covered a really good portion of that new roof. And then, I'm not saying this will always happen, but a week later, we we miraculously came into the exact amount of money we needed for the roof, which was more than the tithe that we gave. And we've got hundreds of stories like that. I'm not exaggerating, hundreds. We have so many stories about God's faithfulness when we do our best to be faithful. And I love what Pastor Oscar said during his his uh, prayer earlier. He said, if we are faithful, God will be more faithful. Because our faithfulness, you guys know this, is always imperfect. The last thing I want you to do is hear this message as some kind of like, I better be perfect in all my finances so God can bless me. Oh, and it's like a burden. No, 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 this is all a joy in the context of the good news of Jesus. Are you tracking with me? This is us responding to the grace and mercy of God poured out on us, blessing that we do not deserve, and then we bring back to him our worship, our tithe, our offering, our giving. But we want to be faithful to what he has said to us, but he will be more faithful. That's really the testimony of, of my life financially is I've done my best to be faithful, made tons of mistakes, definitely sinned, definitely at times been di- dishonest, not like really recently. And, you know, I mean, I'm just I don't want you to think I'm confessing crazy things. I'm talking about my whole life, right? People are like, that pastor just said he lies. What's he lying about? <laughs> I've been faithful, but he's been more faithful. Right, and this is the gift of God's grace. So that's how we wanna approach all this. So we bring a 10, 10% of all our increase. He says he will put a blessing on our barns, that's our storehouses. He, I always think of it this way. God challenged me with this when I was in my, my late teens and my young 20s when I started serving him. I felt like God was saying to me, Nathan, how can I release the riches of heaven through you if every time I give you something, you hold on to it and think it's yours? That's, that's kind of the heart of stewardship. God wants to flow the riches of heaven, not just money, but the, the, the fullness of the Spirit of God through you to the world around you. How can he do that if every time you get a little bit more, you're like, yes, 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 bank account, pocket side, this is all me, you know what I mean? We have to get a vision for it flowing through us. Tithing is the very first part of that. It is the starting ground for living that life of generosity. Uh, It says in this that our vats will overflow. I wanted to point this out because it's so powerful. A vat was something they would use to to stomp the grapes that they were gonna make wine out of. And so if you imagine putting a bunch of grapes into a vat up here and people are stomping those grapes, it's. By the nature of physics, it's impossible for the juice from those grapes to come higher than the vat because we only put that many grapes in it. You tracking with this so far? This is saying that when God commands his blessing in response to our obedience to him, it says our vats will do what's actually impossible and will overflow. It's saying more will come out than was put in. Have you guys ever experienced that? Where are like my followers of Jesus at that have seen these miracles? How many times have we experienced there is more coming out of this than we put into this? How is this happening? He is causing your vats to overflow. And when it comes to gaining all we can and saving all we can, we, we can either do that in our own strength and be like, that's it. Or we can say, God, all this is yours. I'm gonna tithe. I'm gonna respond to your promptings to give. I'm gonna release all this into your hands as much as I can and be faithful to you. And I'm gonna hold to the promise that you're gonna cause more to come out than I put in. That's the miracle. That's the promise. So give all you can by honoring the Lord with your tithe. Second sub point, give all you can by prioritizing God's heart. Prioritize God's heart. You are a steward of God's money. That's the shift. It's not being a steward of your money. It's being a steward of God's money. Therefore, if he is our leader, our Lord and our master, we must prioritize his heart in all of our financial decisions. First John says, anyone that has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity does not have the love of God in them. That's choosing to live by compassion and generosity with what we've been given. Take something you have, give it to them. Also, 2 Peter says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The reason I share that is because part of God's heart is his mission in the world, which is that everyone would come to repentance. God desires that every person he created in his image would know him. And so if you prioritize his heart in the finances that he is entrusted with you, it means you are gonna care about his mission in the world and you're gonna see it as part of your assignment to fund his mission in the world. I remember wrestling with God about how, preaching about compassion and this God of hope when there are kids dying of lack of food in the world or lack of penicillin or lack of water happening right now. And I just wrestled with God about this. I was like, how can I preach this, God? And God always comes back to me and just says, hey, Nathan, I've created a solution for this. I've created a solution. Guess what? It's you. I've sent you. I've sent you. It's you guys, the church. He has called us to steward the money he's entrusted to us for his heart, his kingdom, what he cares about. I hope this isn't coming across angry. (laughs) I hope you're hearing passion because I believe God wants this for you. It's part of his dream for flourishing finances in your life. The last sub point is give all you can by obeying the spirit's promptings. 2 Corinthians says, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Generous on every occasion. So we want to have the base of tithing. We want to prioritize his heart. I'll just tell you what my wife and I do. We up our tithe every single year. This is not bragging or boasting. It's just what we feel like God's called us to do. So we up the percentage that we give to the church. We've been doing that for 15 years of our marriage, as we can. And then we up... What we give to missions above and beyond that we support dozens and dozens of missions here at Graceland Church missionaries compassion organizations you're going to hear about them this month. So we give above and beyond our tithe to that missions work and you can find all that on our website and then we also say God to God all this is yours anytime you want to prompt us to give and release something we want to say yes before you even tell us even when it doesn't make sense, even when it feels like it's really gonna be sacrificial or cost us, and I'm telling you, we're not perfect with it and we still have to battle through the flesh things with our money, but we experience freedom and joy and peace in our finances. And we're not living like kings and queens, but we're taken care of and we're learning contentedness. And I believe that that is a glimpse of God's dream for healthy finances and how he has called us to flourish. So I'm gonna invite the the worship team to come on up and the prayer team can come up as well Um, I just want to invite you guys to respond. If you'll close your eyes with me, bow your hearts. I know I went a little over today. Don't worry about the time for a minute. We're just going to take another five minutes here or so. We've got the time. It's always worth prioritizing the presence of God and taking some uninterrupted time. So I just encourage you to lean into his presence right now. Forget about your phone for a minute and just say, Lord, I... I want to adopt your strategy for life. And maybe you need to return to this, or maybe you need to step into this for the first time. And God, help me realize that serving you is not a compartmentalized thing. I have sometimes sought you and served you like when I'm at church, or when I'm thinking about so-called spiritual things, or this or that, but actually, Lord, I have at times left you out of my financial decisions, and I just ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness for sometimes going my own way, and I want to do what your scripture invites me to do. I want to repent. I want to change the way I think, and I want to embrace your strategy, your plan for my finances. And, church, if you're praying this with me, just say yes in your heart. I want to follow you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything I have is yours. God, release me from a fear-based living when it comes to finances, from an anxiety-ridden style of living when it comes to finances. God, I pray that I could be free from finding my security in a bank account that has margin. I trust you, God. Declare it with me, church. I trust you, God. I don't trust money. I don't put my hope in money. I don't put the hope for my future in my financial security. The hope for my future is guaranteed, and it's only in you. I declare that today, God. I don't want to have the false God of money set above you. Forgive me, God, for at times doing that. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you, God. Teach me what it is to gain with wisdom, but not at the expense of my soul, not at the expense of others, not at the expense of honesty. Teach me to save with wisdom. Teach me to not try to purchase my joy, my peace. Teach me contentedness, Lord, and teach me obedience in my giving. This is all yours, Lord. Teach me what it is to to bring the first fruits as an act of worship. Teach me what it is to adopt your priorities in my finances. Teach me what it is to obey your promptings and to live a generous life. Go now in peace, for Christ has called you to live in peace among your brothers and sisters in Christ. Go now in courage, for Christ has called you from the places of your life to be agents of redemption and partners in healing. Go now in joy and thanksgiving, for Christ is our light. Go now as one body to love and serve God as you love and serve the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great afternoon.